the young people, the millennials that are contacting me, they're not seeing smoke in their room and red eyes and alien grays. They're, they are in some sort of reality shifting upside down metaverse type of world where they're lucidly walking around and the spirit guides and the ascended masters of the old world, the astral realm, they have repackaged themselves for the younger generations. Many millennia ago, at the peak of Mount Hermon in the Golan Heights, a group of divine beings known as the Watchers, or Sons of God, descended in an act of rebellion against their king, Yahweh. By teaching them the secret knowledge of the cosmos, they sought to wrestle dominion of the earth away from humanity. They bore children with them, and their offspring were both human and divine. These giants are the demigods of old, and the events that transpired would forever alter the course of human history. At Camp Herman, we discuss the oddities of the ancient world and their lingering impact on our world today. Welcome. What's up, campers? We are here recording another episode of Camp Herman. My name is Tori. And I'm Chris. And we are here with some very special guests who we will introduce you to shortly. I'm excited about tonight, Tori, because we have got... Her name is Vicki Joy Anderson, but I mistakenly was calling her... Dr. Vicky. And I think that's because she's probably, she probably knows more about the subject that we're going to be talking about tonight, sleep paralysis than, than anyone that I've heard of. I'm going to just say right now, she's Dr. Vicky. I'm just, we're giving her her PhD <laughs> tonight. So yeah, we are really excited. We love um, Vicky Joy Anderson. She's an author, writer, researcher, um, speaker, poet, and she knows more about sleep paralysis than anyone I've ever heard of. We're really excited. Yeah, Dr. Vicky. Um, guys, we really appreciate everyone listening. I've been kind of blown away at how much we've been we've been growing just week over week, month over month. So I just wanted to say thank you so much. It means a lot to us, and just the interaction that we're having online is super dope. And if you guys want to continue to support the podcast, you can go to camperman.com and we have, we have a membership now. We've got, of course, you know, the coffee that if you've been listening, you know, we've got the Bigfoot blend with Kevlar Joe. If you want to do that, guys, you can go to camperman.com and, and we really appreciate you guys. You guys are awesome. We're loving interacting with y'all online and in person. We had a really fun meetup a couple of weeks ago. It was sweet. Got to see some of you again and meet some of you for the first time and yeah, we're really excited to do that again. Yeah, that was awesome. Uh, we did it at my house and thankfully nobody seemed weird. So I'm not nervous about all of those people that were at except my house for, having my address. Me and Chris. And <laughs> yeah, we were probably, yeah, we're probably, we're probably the weirdest ones there for sure. I know Anaka thinks I'm, I'm a weirdo. So I think she thinks you're cool and normal and probably cool. wonders why you're co-hosting this podcast with with you a know, big dork like me. It's it's mutual. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can hear her laughing. That is Vicky Joy Anderson, who I'm dubbing Dr. Vicky. Hey, Vicky, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing good. You know, several of our, our friends 
Uh, Tom Horn and Elie Marzulli have honorary doctorates, but no one's got an honorary doctorate from Camp Herman. So there you go. You, you are going to be the first. We are going to work. We're going to we're going to hop on Canva later tonight and oh, we are yeah. going to put together no your problem. honorary doctorate. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I, I will receive that with joy. But hey, it, it, if there was one thing that I would like to have uh, expertise in, it would not be sleep paralysis. So that's the irony. <laughs> oh, yeah, I can imagine. So Vicki, I kind of wanted to just hear your story. I mean, you know, you're an author, you're a writer, you're a poet. What has led you on this journey that you're on now? I mean, I also kind of think of you as spiritual warrior with just the spiritual warfare that you do. I know you guys have got the conference in Ohio. The what's, I forgot the name of the conference. Out of the darkness, March 31, April 1. Yep. Right. Yeah. So I don't know when this is going to air, but we do still have tickets for that. It's March 31 through April 1st in the Dayton, Ohio area. And you can go to throughtheblack.com for that. There's also a live stream. So I think it's like 43 bucks or something. You get all of the talks and you can access them anytime you want after the fact. So if you can't make it out in person, you, you can live stream us. Just go to throughtheblack.com and all the info is there. Speaker bios and schedule and all that good stuff. I was going to ask you, this will probably end up airing after the conference, but will people be able to purchase the conference after the fact since everything's going to be like live streamed will they be able to buy it later yeah that is a really good question i i'm compelled to say yes but uh i will get back to you with a definite yes or no after the show okay well i'm assuming yeah just whether you want to check out the conference or not go to throughtheblack.com and and check that out there's a lot of uh really interesting information on there so Dr. Vicky, um, (laughs) just, yeah. Tell us about how you, your, your experiences with sleep sleep paralysis, how you've come to become a subject matter expert. Yeah. On the job training uh, started for me really young. I think the first, the first solid memory, I was four years old, but there's another memory I have at about two and a half or three that I think was almost In my mind, it's alluding to the fact that it probably started earlier than that. Uh, A conversation I had as a very little girl with my mom about having nightmares and being afraid of the dark. And I remember that conversation because she had said, you know, that I didn't need to be afraid because the angels were watching over me. I said, well, what's an angel? I think that was the very first time my mom explained to me or I'd ever heard the the, the term angel. Well, what's an angel? And so explaining it to a two and a half year old, three year old, she said, they're big, they're bright, and they're everywhere. And that's all she told me. So she left the room and I decided to do some reconnaissance work. And I had to find these big, bright things watching over me and couldn't find such a thing in my room. So I looked out the window and there were massive streetlights going all the way up and down both sides of the road. And I you know, deduced in my mind that those must be the angels because they're big and they're bright and they're everywhere. And so I went to bed very safe that night feeling like, man, they're lying in the streets. I'm good to go. So I I wonder, um, especially given the details of that home that we lived in, I'm wondering if that is when it all started for me. Strange things were afoot at that house for both me and my brother, who also started sleepwalking and having night terrors in that house. <clears throat> so It started that early. Never in my wildest dreams did I 
ever have a thought that I was going to ever speak about this to anyone, admit to this, write about it. Uh, there's That was never a thought in my mind. I wanted to be a writer since I was 10 years old. I just declared in fifth grade that I was going to be a writer when I grew up. It's what I wanted to do. It's what I went to college for. I never... I never lost sight of that. Like as soon as that came to my head at, at 10, it, I never wavered from that. But <clears throat> I had anticipated that I was just going to write, you know, when you're a Christian woman, there's sort of a genre you fall into as a writer, you know, and you, you write your little devotionals and you write your self-improvement and your how-to and your encouragement stuff. And I'm not mocking that. I grew up, I survived on that stuff, but I didn't really know that there was another option. When I felt called to write on this topic, it wasn't even that I was reticent to do it like, oh, no, I don't want to take that on or, oh, I don't want to be in the spotlight for that or I don't want people. It's controversial and not even a lot of people even in, in the church believe it. And so what was my biggest obstacle was when I went down to start taking notes for the book, I thought this is the craziest thing. I had been experiencing sleep paralysis for over 43 years at that point. But when I actually sat down to write on this, I'm like, well, of course I can write on this. But when I actually sat down to write it, I realized, wait a minute, I've had this experience my whole life, but I don't know what it is. I don't know why it's targeting me. I don't know. I don't really know anything about it. And so I spent months praying and fasting, I was consternated over it. I would get little pieces of the puzzle and I would know there was something there, but I wasn't quite on it. The pieces didn't quite fit. And so I would stop again and I would pray and I would fast and my dad would pray with me for breakthrough. And so I didn't even start writing it for months because I, I really felt the one thing that the spirit of God told me was don't regurgitate. In other words, there's all sorts of nonsense online. Anybody who wants to read about sleep paralysis can go online for hours and find information on medical sites, on scientific sites, on YouTube, but none of it is really of any value. A lot of it is just partial truths, half truths, assumptions, theories, a lot of it is like, um, it's, there's a lot of like gaslighting. It's a lot of tell us your story and then they want to hear the story so that they can dismantle you and make you feel like a fool and say it's not true. So I really felt like what the spirit was telling me was we're going to get down to the biblical spiritual roots of what this is. Yet I didn't write just a Christian book. I try to bring in I bring in all sorts of things into this book. There's philosophy, history is brought into it. Uh, the history of the whole medical industry is brought into it with the Asclepions of the first and second century and Galen, the super surgeon and Antipas, the faithful martyr and Pergamum in Turkey there that's mentioned in Revelation. I have interviewed dozens of case studies who told me their stories I went into other world religions. I went into science. I went into literature, fiction, H.P. Lovecraft, Robert Monroe, the remote viewing, declassified remote viewing projects of Robert Monroe teaching um, the army how to use astral projection as a militarized weapon, which is remote viewing. So if anyone thinks this is like, oh, here's a Christian who wrote a book about sleep paralysis and the whole thing's just going to be about demons and, you know, not playing with Ouija boards. I go into that 
it's part of it, but it's just scratches the surface. So I try to, I try to take the one dimensional piece of glass that's been presented to us in the church or in the secular world. And I try to bring it into 3D where you can hold it in your hand and turn around and see all 90 plus of the facets because this is a complex issue. Tori, you were asking uh, Vicki something earlier when we were chatting before we started recording. What were you wanting to get into? Vicki, what you said about gaslighting, I think is so true. Like I- I've had a handful of friends who, whenever this conversation comes up, they'll just really quickly write it off as like, oh, it's a physical phenomenon. It has to do with the way you're sleeping, you know, like the position. And if you sleep in this other position, it won't happen. And or because they'll tell me a story and, you know, even friends who, who aren't believers, you know, will have these experiences and I'm kind of like, oh, like, what do you think that is? You know, like, do you think that's because there's thousands of other people all over the world who experience the same thing, you know? And then it's like, oh, well, I talked to this doctor and they said it's this, you know, and I'm just like, oh, like, I don't know. I just don't think so. Cause well, anyway, we can get into that. Um, but what I was going to ask you, Vicky, is that what is it about being asleep or like that state of consciousness that seems to make us like more vulnerable to spiritual attack or does it, I've had what has felt like spiritual attacks in my dreams throughout my whole life. And I've never had a situation where I felt like something was in my room, you know, and I don't know if that's kind of the difference, but you know, it's like, I'll be somewhere else in a dream, but it, but it feels very real, you know, and I have felt like, the room is shaking, you know, like I'll hear a voice, I'll hear, you know, like I'll feel fear, um, feel something trying to touch me, but it's all in my dream. And I, you know, and I cry out to Jesus in my dream and that'll go away, you know? Um, anyway, what is it about sleeping? <laughs> yeah. I'm so glad you brought this up because this is actually something I was thinking about this afternoon as I was praying about the show and what we would talk about. And this popped into my head and here it is. The show hasn't even started yet. And you hit on the exact thing. So you guys get the exclusive Camp Herman gets the exclusive. I've been on countless shows and I always try to shake it up a little bit because I hate it when you discover someone who has this amazing piece of information. So then you go out there and you scour everything they've ever been on. And it's kind of the same interview over and over again. And so I try to, some things do bear repeating, but I try to shake things up so that people aren't like, oh, if you heard Vicki, you've heard everything she has to say. So one of the things that I have been contemplating lately and in this vulnerability of our sleep state, and we see all over in scripture that the spirit realm, whether it's the quarter of the neighborhood that are evil and fallen, or it's the, the area of the neighborhood where it is messengers from the kingdom of God, we have ample evidence in the scripture that when we're asleep, that is when visions from God, communication with God, we've got Jacob's ladder. And um, I don't have time to go into it, but if you go into some of these stories where people have an encounter while they're asleep, there is so much supernatural. It's so supernatural, more than the text gives away. Jacob had his vision of the ladder in the city of Luz. And if you study Luz, deep research, I mean, if you just, if you type in Luz, it'll say it just means almond tree or whatever. But Luz was actually the name 
of the coccyx, which is a piece of bone at the base of the spine that plays very heavily in to Kundalini awakenings and what needs to be activated to, for, to shoot up the chakras and open the third eye. Their city was named after the coccyx. It was named the Luz. And my theory is that the very reason Jacob chose that spot is because he was looking for a vision. He was looking to communicate with the heavenlies. Now, maybe he didn't know he was going to talk to Yahweh, but even the stone, like we're like, oh, he's out in the wilderness. He just picked a rock for a pillow. Even the stone, if you go into studying the Jupiter stones, there were actual stones that people would lay on that were charged objects. And there's so much in that story that that gives information into what the ancient world was doing in hopes to communicate with the spirit realm when they were asleep. And uh, the reason I use Jacob as an example is because we talk a lot with the topic of sleep paralysis, astral projection, the astral plane. These are things Christians don't want to do. They shouldn't do it. You're communicating with the wrong heaven, the, the wrong spirit guides. And so I just um, of this as well, where it wasn't um, induced by the will of man for the purpose of man. But we have experiences where God activated this because he wanted to speak to one of his people. And so why didn't he always just send an angel like he did to Mary or he did to you know these other people? Why sometimes is John and Paul and Moses and to some extent Elijah, why are they seeing these heavenly visions? Why are they seeing the Makrava coming down with the throne on the wheels of heaven? Why, why are they getting glimpses of the tabernacle in heaven? You know, why did God do it that way? I just want everyone to understand that there's always a dark, bastardized version of everything that was once God's. And so it's not so much that dreams and spiritual encounters and visions during the night are always evil. Because that was something that, you know, God had the corner on that and the enemy found a way to hijack it. So just understand that people out there who have had visions in the night and God does still speak to people in in their dreams as well. We know this from the end times of the people will dream dreams. We know this. So kind of got off on a little bit of a tangent there, but I just wanted to give a little bit of background. Something that I haven't spoken about before, and there's a reason why I don't. There are a lot of people that hear these types of talks. They hear about sleep paralysis. And there's a lot of people who think it's cool. There's a lot of people who are completely detached to it and they can talk about it. No problem. They're not triggered. They're not scared. They're not going to have a nightmare. In fact, it's going to put puzzle pieces together for them. You know, they're going to be fascinated by it. But by the same token, there's people that hear stuff like this and they become very scared. And like I did an entire show with uh, Derek Gilbert um, in his view from the bunker and we were delving into how children are really often uh, targeted in sleep paralysis because they're too young to communicate to parents exactly what's going on. And so they're vulnerable. They always attack the vulnerable. Well, that can be scary if you're a parent and you have a three-year-old and you're already anxious about everything going on in the world. And now you find out that, man, even in a perfect home environment where we go to church and I homeschool my kids, they can still get at my kids. So I don't like to needlessly fear monger and frighten people. We've got enough to worry about in in this world. But I also think we need to be aware. And as Christians, we need to be constantly um, covering our bases and learning how to pray spiritual warfare prayers. So 
The thing that I haven't mentioned on any other shows, because I don't want to alarm and frighten people, is I think that there are a lot of people that encounter sleep paralysis frequently and would never know it. And if you strung them up to a lie detector test, they would pass it with flying colors because they wake up with no memory of it. One of the things that I have talked about, and I'm going to just mention this briefly, and then I'll give the floor back. Jim Wilhelmson makes a small reference in his book. I think it's called Beyond Science Fiction. It's mostly about UFO encounters, but he does give a, a brief hat tip to sleep paralysis in the book. And I believe Timothy Alberino has made references to this on some shows as well. The first time I heard it, I was very alarmed. As someone who'd suffered sleep paralysis their whole life, I didn't want to know that this was even deeper down the rabbit hole than I already thought. But what they hypothesized is that what we define as sleep paralysis, those few minutes in our bedroom where we wake up and we can't move and we see the shadow people and we cry out to the name of Jesus and it goes away, but we still feel this sort of like oppression hanging out in the room. They suggested that this is not sleep paralysis, but that is the tail end of the sleep paralysis, uh, which makes sense to me because in most of my encounters with sleep paralysis, it started deep within a dream. I would be dreaming, which means I'm in REM. I'm in deep theta. And what what's really fascinating about theta levels of sleep, you're down, don't quote me on this, it's something like four to six hertz or four to eight hertz or something. And uh, our friend uh, Kenny C talks a lot about frequencies in the spirit realm. I believe he's working on a book. He's going to be doing a uh, conference message for the Skywatch conference on this topic. When you get into, I think the human ear can hear 20 hertz and anything below that, the human ear, like we can subconsciously pick up on it or our brain can pick up on it, but our ear won't pick up on it. So what I believe is that the spirit realm capitalizes on times when our brain is operating below 20 hertz because it thins the veil. And there's even scientific studies out there now. I can't remember the guy who first discovered it, but he discovered he thought that his lab was haunted and he kept seeing shadow people. And he was a scientist and he kept doing research and he realized that he had a fan on in his laboratory that operated at 18 hertz. And when he unplugged the fan, he stopped seeing the shadow people. And he realized that certain frequencies can interact with our brain and our visual cortex, and we can visualize and we can hallucinate. It, it does things. It plays tricks on our mind. So when we're in a theta sleep, we're operating at four to eight hertz. So we are in a prime position where if awoken suddenly, we could see the shadow people. Um, and it, this is what I love about that. Everybody out there wants a scientific and a medical explanation for everything. They don't want to believe it's spiritual. They don't want to believe it's demonic. But here's the good news. If a lot of this stuff can be written off scientifically or medically, or we can show this is happening, that's happening, it actually takes away from the power of Satan because it makes it look like, wait, he's not the great and wonderful wizard of Oz with all this power. He's this old guy behind a curtain with a bunch of tech that just looks more powerful than he really is. And, and so I do think that a lot of that's going on. I do think that there's aspects of sleep paralysis that are demonic. Don't hear me saying that it's not. But what I'm saying is 
they understand more about human physiology than we do. And a lot of this, like the paralyzation and even the frequency of the theta waves when we're deep in sleep, they know the perfect time to set us up so that something that's already scary can be a hundred times more scary. So what, what I'm saying in all of that is for me, my sleep paralysis experience has always started deep in a dream. I would be dreaming and someone would walk through the door and I would hear the buzzing and the vibrating and a fear would overcome me. And I would say in my dream, Oh no, my dream's going to be a nightmare now. Like I would, I, and I would have a nightmare and then I would wake up paralyzed. And so to Wilhelmson and Alberino's point, what could be happening, and this is where it ties into people who don't have a memory of their dreams. There are different types of dreamers there. They have thin veiled and thick veiled. And there are people that don't give any credence to their dreams. They don't pay attention to them. They don't care when they wake up. They don't care if they remember them. If they do remember them, they don't put any stock in them. They're not looking for any sort of value in them. And then there's the people that are very attentive and they're lucid in their dreams and they're interacting and they're paying attention and they're waking up and they're writing dream journals and they're asking God, like, was there meaning in that? What, what psychologically happens, like with anything, when you put a great value or meaning on something, you um, have a deeper experience of those things. And so I think that's what what's happening and what's the difference between people who have sleep paralysis and people who don't. It's not that some have it and some don't. It's that some people put such a high value on what's happening during their sleep. They pay so much attention to it that they're the types that are going to wake up and when they wake up from their dream, not only are they going to remember parts of it, but their body is still feeling the physical effects of the trauma. They're waking up. When, when you explain to me, I can't move, I'm paralyzed, my heart is beating, all the saliva in my mouth is dried up, I, I have this intense fear, I want to call up to Jesus. A lot of that is the same types of things that you would experience if someone broke into your home or if you were, th these are signs of adrenaline and trauma and coming down off of adrenaline. So I don't even necessarily think that those few minutes in your bedroom when you're paralyzed and you see the shadow person is the real crux of the sleep paralysis experience. I think that's your body coming down off of the adrenaline rush and, and feeling all of the physiological effects of the trauma. I think the real danger of sleep paralysis the spiritual transformation, the, the bad doctrine, the spirit guides, the astral experiences. I think that that happens deep within the theta. And I think a lot of people, even the people that wake up with the sleep paralysis, that's the part of the experience that they don't even remember. 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 Everything you just said, I have, I wrote down like three or four questions while you were speaking. The first one for me is trying to understand, A, what is happening when we are sleeping? And as far as you know, how are these entities able to interact with us and where are they interacting with us? Like when we sleep, do we go, does our consciousness go, are we in that astral plane that you were speaking about? And if you can explain to like 
a kindergartner, like what, like what that is, where are we? And then is that where these interactions are happening? If that's the case. Yep. Great question. Every single time we sleep, we're in the astral. Uh, I don't even believe that every single time we have sleep paralysis, we're dragged there. Uh, but it is just, it is one of the goals. They do want to try to drag us up there. And the difference between someone with sleep paralysis and the difference between um, someone with sleep paralysis and someone who astral projects is new agers. And those who astral project are people who are consciously aware of wanting to training and teaching themselves and wanting very badly to go there. Whereas someone in sleep paralysis is someone getting dragged there against their will. These are people, these are unwilling kidnap victims. These are abductees. This is why there's some similarities between sleep paralysis and the UFO phenomenon, because they are both abductions. People with sleep paralysis have not asked for that. Um, and in fact, most of the time, they don't even know what's happened to them or why, and they don't like it. So by way of where are we when we sleep? I don't know that we really know that. I know if you ask a scientist, they don't know. They don't even know why we dream. They haven't figured that out yet. Here is an avenue of musing, okay? This isn't something to be chiseled into stone and put into the ark. I am musing, okay? There's two verses in scripture, uh, Revelation 3.20 and Song of Solomon 5.2. I think they're related. I think it's an Old Testament and a New Testament concept of the same thing. In Revelation 3.20, Jesus is saying, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone comes and hears my voice and opens the door and lets me in. Now, I've talked ad nauseum about this in other podcasts, so I'll try not to repeat myself on, on that. But what we have here is if you, if you Google that verse, a large majority of the artwork, for some reason, has Jesus standing outside in you know next to the front bushes with a lantern the moon is up in the sky and the the interpretation in most people's mind is that Jesus is outside of your house at night knocking to get in in song of solomon 52 which is literally about solomon and one of his one of his brides but it's also an allegory for the bride um and Jesus being the bridegroom he's going to come back one day and get his bride and in Song of Solomon 5.2, it says that the bride was asleep, but her heart was awake. Now, I think if you read chapter 5 with the overlay of sleep paralysis in your mind, it takes on a rather unique understanding. She's asleep, but her heart's awake. She's lucid. She's listening. She's watching. She's waiting. She's looking. When the knock comes on the door, which I think is the Revelation 3.20 knock, she doesn't want to get out of bed. She doesn't want to get her feet dirty. She's barefoot. She's not dressed appropriately. She doesn't want to get cold. My, my take on that, my theory on that might be that she's in that altered state of consciousness where she is asleep, but she's half awake and she hears the knock. And there's a part of her that knows it's the bridegroom and wants to let him in, but she can't get up. She's paralyzed. She can't get up. Because the next thing you know, she wakes up and now she's fully conscious and she's like, I just let, I just let the bridegroom go. Oh my goodness. I just gave up an opportunity to be with the bridegroom. So she rushes out to find him. And for people who are familiar with the text and some people freak out when I use this as an analogy, because if you know the text, the next thing that happens is she calls upon the watchman on the walls to help her find the bridegroom and she, they, she gets assaulted. So we're like, well, this doesn't fit the nice analogy. 
but it, do, it does fit the sleep paralysis analogy. Because if we as believers understand that when we go to bed at night, there is a threshold that Jesus is potentially knocking on. Uh, he's going to come to us at those times at night where the veil is thin. It is four to eight hertz. We do have the opportunity to have these Jacob ladder experiences. We have the opportunity to speak to the bridegroom, to fellowship with him, to have intimacy with him. And I'm not talking about anything sexual, sexual or crude here, but if that is a time of the night that was originally designed for us to have some level of fellowship or touch with our bridegroom, then it makes sense to me that the watchmen that help us find the spirit realm are likely going to assault us. They're going to do whatever they can to make sure we don't find that bridegroom. And so I think that these entities that we're seeing that many times come to the bedroom door before they walk in, they're, they're like vampires. They have to have that invitation over the threshold. These are covenants. Jesus in Revelation 3.20, it's a threshold covenant. The bridegroom in Song of Solomon 5.2, it's a threshold covenant. These vampires, these Lamashtu, Lilith, Lily, Lilu, those vampiric demons of the Akkadian, Sumerian, Babylonian lore, they're vampiric in nature. They come to the door. They knock. It's grandma dressed like the wolf, right? It's Little Red Riding Hood. It is a wolf in sheep's clothing coming to the bedroom door at night, wanting to make a betrothal covenant, a threshold covenant, dressed up like the bridegroom, but it is not the bridegroom. And we let these false bridegrooms in. I, I go into detail in that in chapter four of my book, uh, Astral Vampires, Threshold Covenants and Astral Vampires. And I've said a lot about that, so I won't rehash that now. But I, I believe, and again, I'm musing. I'm, this is theory. I, I believe that at night we have opportunities to fellowship and draw near to our Savior. And that those, these sleep paralysis and even nightmares and night terrors, these are interruptions. These are wolves in grandma's clothing, beating the bridegroom to the door, getting there first and barging in. That says to me, the occult always hijacks something. They've taken something and they bastardize it. So what was it before they corrupted it? What? So, and this is what I always tell people, and I'll end on this. What I always tell people is my main goal with exposing this, writing about this, talking to people about this, the end goal of what I want people to learn isn't how do I stop sleep paralysis? The end goal for me as a Christian is how do I get the right bridegroom to show up at my door at night so I can enjoy fellowship with the Father, uninterrupted fellowship in deep levels of rest where I can experience peace and I can wake up well-rested the next day because I had contact with my Savior, not some gross alien gray or some spirit guide or some false representation of my grandmother or my mother or someone who loved me who passed on. Those are all imposters. They're counterfeits. So if there's counterfeits, it means there's a real thing. So the goal of all of this for me isn't how do I get the counterfeits to stop showing up? It's how do I get the real thing to show up? I don't want to miss out on that. So 
<laughs> Vicky, you literally that was that was my question I wrote down while you were talking. Just it was just this bell ringing in my head. How do we answer the door for Jesus? What does that look like? I will say this. This is what's interesting is my wife didn't know that you were coming on. And I don't even know. I don't know if she knows you know who you are. I've, I've mentioned you to her today because I was talking about you coming on the show. And this morning when we woke up, she said, the Lord spoke to me in a dream. You need to find out if you have anybody that's Freemasons in your, your bloodline. She said, gosh, I think I, I took notes, but she, I, t- I literally, I'm, I'm laying in bed and I'm like taking notes because she's like, you need to check this out, check this out and check this out because the Lord spoke to me in a dream. Uh, one had to do with Freemasons and there was two other things that didn't have anything to do with Freemasonry. And the Lord speaks to my wife in her dreams and I'm like, I want that. Like, how, how do I get that? I personally, when I was a child, I was terrorized in my dreams. Like if I, if I saw something that looked evil, like name a horror movie, like if I even just saw the cover, I would be visited in my dreams by an entity that looked like that Chucky, Chucky terrorized my dreams, Freddy Krueger, like all those guys terrorized my dreams. So for many, many years, I had horrible nightmares as a kid growing up. It's a kind of a two-part question because I'm talking about nightmares. How do we answer that door? And then how do nightmares relate to all of this? Is If you're having a nightmare, is that an aspect of sleep paralysis? Because I've personally never woken up and been paralyzed or had you know seen anything. I've seen entities before I've gone to bed when I was wide awake and I was at Fuller Theological Seminary in uh, Pasadena and there was this guy standing in the corner of my room, like as tall as the ceiling, black, looked like he was in a cloak. I didn't see anything. It just looked like a cloaked figure. And I was just like, what the heck? And I was scared, but I was also like, I'm not dealing with this. I just rolled over, threw the covers over my head and prayed and just went to sleep. I was like, I'm not, I'm not messing with this guy. That's the way to do it. Do not engage. Oh, yeah, man. I was like, I was not interested, but yeah. So how do, how do we, to go back to the question, how do we answer the door? Is there a, is there like a formula, a certain prayer? Like, what do we do? Cause that sounds amazing. And it sounds like, that's what we're supposed to be experiencing. The Lord is so good that he will literally do anything. And he came to this earth in flesh and bore our sin and died so that he could have a relationship with us to commune with us. And so I know that that's what he wants. He goes to great lengths all the time. That sounds amazing. Like to be able to, like, we don't have to spend a second of our being apart from him. But then, as you said, we've got the enemy who is literally trying to steal, kill, and destroy us and everything, including our relationship with the Lord. So now I'm going to shut up. And and so how do we, how do we answer the door? I think it's a really easy answer. And I don't think it's a formula and I don't think it looks the same for everybody, but you know, there's references in scripture about those who delight to see his coming. There are we are supposed to have a desire for him to come again. We're supposed to be longing for that and looking forward to it. There's references in scripture where we're supposed to go outside and look to the sky every day. And like, is he, is he, is he coming? 
if you put your finger on the pulse of the church right now, since 2020, you all of a sudden have a whole bunch of people who think the end of the world is two days away. Jesus is coming back. So let's say for a moment, that's true. Let's say unequivocally, it's a fact. Jesus is coming very, very, very soon. Do we have joy? Do, are, are we in church and are people like doing cartwheels and like running up to each other and high-fiving each other? Like look on a football team. Guys who score a touchdown are dancing and slamming their chests into each other and people in the crowd are screaming and losing their minds. So if you're going to be that excited over a touchdown, I would think that the levels of joy that would come into the mind and heart and life of a Christian, if they knew for a fact Jesus was almost on the horizon, we would be out of our minds. We Every conversation we'd have, we'd be like, what do you think he's going to look like? And okay, the first thing I'm going to ask, and like, what do you think? I mean, we would have so much anticipation, but no, instead, all we hear is fear. We hear, we got to have, let's get together and Pray that all this goes away and someone gets into office who, you know, drains the swamp and gets rid of all this stuff. So when Jesus taught us to pray and said, thy kingdom come, we don't want his kingdom to come because every time it looks close, the Christians want to hold prayer vigils to make sure it doesn't happen. No, we got to put this off. I don't want it to happen in my generation. I, I haven't had kids yet. I haven't gotten married yet. I don't want my children to go through this. I don't want to be put in a concentration camp. And then it's all the eschatology and bickering over the rapture. Why is no one excited over the fact that he might be coming back? What is wrong with us? So the formula for how we open the door is we delight to be in his presence. Because people who delight to be in his presence, he shows up. Because he knows that you want him there. He's a gentleman. This is why he knocks at the door. And if we don't hear his voice, or we don't open, or we don't invite him in, he turns around and walks away. He's not a thief or a robber who comes in by the back door or some other way. So if he's knocking on our door every night, and we're saying, go away, I'm tired, or hey, this is my Netflix time, or hey, I'm gonna sleep with podcasts on because it's entertaining, I can't sleep without it, or hey, this is my time of the night where I can just think about whatever I want. This is like my little fantasy time at night. This is the, if that's what you want, Jesus will say, then you can have that. You can have that, you have free will. If that's what you wanna meditate on tonight, be my guest. So if you desire to be in his presence, he will show up. That's good. I love that. I've always, for the longest time, had this longing for this, that closeness with the Lord. And for much of my life, that, ha- that kind of escaped me, mainly because I was, I was in bondage to like pornography. Up until recently, the Lord, thank you, God, delivered me from that two years ago comes into my apartment, wrecks shop and heals me of PTSD, depression, suicidal ideation. And I'd been, I'd had, I'd been on a road for months of counseling. And I, I believe that the one-on-one counseling that I was doing, I had a Christian counselor, a great man of God, Dr. Mike Courtney, love you. Kind of, I think paved the way for the Lord to be like, okay, now I can come in. You've dealt with, with this stuff. Now I can come in and heal you. And now when I want, if I feel like I want to 
have whatever those like emotions are that people are kind of like really seeking. It's, it's just, it's closeness. It's intimacy with the Lord. I can go there simply by just genuine worship. And I can be like, it's like I'm transported to like the throne room or something. And it's amazing. So to hear you say, and I'm genuinely convicted right now because I fall asleep to like a TV show every night because like, that's just what, that's what I fall asleep to. And I'm listening to you talk and I'm like, yo, I want to have that intimacy with him at night too. So I'm like, I've been, I've been doing it wrong. I'm going to, I'm going to do what you said. Cause I really want that. That sounds amazing. Well, I do too, Chris. And you know, it's like anything, you know, if you like, let's say you really want to go in and tell your spouse or your dad or your kid something. And so you're super excited to go and share something with them and you peek your head in their room and they're deeply engrossed in the game or a, you're like, Oh, you're busy. I'll come back. Jesus is a gentleman. If we're engaged elsewhere, he'll like, well, I'll come back. I'll come back. But one thing that I really want to stress to people, because there's a difference between conviction and condemnation. So if you feel convicted now, and that's coming from the Holy Spirit, that's great. But if you're feeling condemned now, like, why well, I, I go to sleep every night, because there, there are a lot of people who cannot sleep unless something's playing. And so let me just speak to you people. And we've all been there. But a lot of people that have had sleep paralysis their entire life where it's come to them at like two, three, four years old, obviously these aren't people that were playing with Ouija boards and dabbling in the occult and sleeping around. They're babies, they're kids, right? So there was something that made them predisposed to this. And in some cases, this is not an exhaustive list. In some cases, it's exactly like your wife said. There's some sort of Freemasonry. There's some sort of elite bloodline, the the dragon court bloodline in your background where the entire bloodline was pledged over to these these demons and you have to actually unencumber yourself from these these curses and oaths and things. Um, It can also come through sexual abuse, ritual abuse, satanic ritual abuse, uh, toxic dysfunctional home life, like if you had a dysfunctional home with addiction, or if uh, it can even happen if you've been traumatized, like if you were adopted, if you witnessed the death of a parent at a young age. Uh, in my case, the trauma was I was exposed to surgeries from 10 days old until I was 15 or 16. So I was constantly in the hospital. And when you're, you know, when you're 10 days old, you don't understand the difference between Hey, every time my parents hand me over to this stranger, I get my face cut up and I'm in pain. Like as a two-year-old, you don't understand that's the same as ritual abuse in your little undeveloped mind. Every time my parents hand me over to a stranger, I'm hurt. So it it begins to form disassociations, detachments. You 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 go into a survival mode. And these people, survivors of trauma, they are tough people. They're bold. They're they're no nonsense. But at the same time, they can also be very detached. So to even say to someone who is uh, a trauma survivor, you have to desire intimacy with Christ. They'll be like, oh, I don't want that. And don't judge because when you've been hurt and abused and traumatized and violated, by every adult in your life up to that point who said they loved you. The concept of a loving father or a loving savior, you we have to put ourselves in those shoes. So 
there are people out there who are even professing believers who are not even to the point now where they can honestly say, I have a desire to have affections stirred in me for Jesus. And a lot of us feel a lot of shame and guilt and condemnation for that because we feel like we were raised in a culture where it's all about feelings. And if you love someone, there's tons of exciting feelings attached to that. So if you know in your heart and your mind that you love someone, but you don't have a bunch of feelings attached to it, then the devil comes in and says, well, you don't have these feelings for Jesus. So you don't really love him. You're all, it's all just works. And it's all, everything you're doing is just legalistic. So I really want to speak to for you guys. And for me, where the prayer had to start was God, please give me a desire to feel these things, stir my affections. There's some things as a human being, we can't fake. We can generate things. We can trick anyone in our church. We can memorize scripture and quote it. And we can put a smile on our face and we can talk about our perfect little life and put our perfect life up on Facebook. There's certain things that we can fake and we can fake it for decades before the house of cards tumbles. We can't fake our affections. We either feel something or we don't. And if we want those feelings and we can't generate them, we need the Lord to intervene and help us with those things. But if that's where you are in your journey, don't let the devil uh, discourage you or condemn you. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And part of what he is healing us from are our hurts and our sorrows and our battle scars. Some of us are still in the triage tent. We got hauled off the battlefield. We got an arm blown off. And we're highly sedated and we are still in the triage tent. And it is okay if that's, you're still in the war. You're still wearing your uniform. You still have your stripes and your medals. Just because you're in the triage tent, all that means is you're going to get a purple heart. So don't be discouraged if you're in the triage tent uh, and you feel completely incapacitated and you can't even get out of bed. If you, if you are in the part of your journey where you haven't been delivered from this stuff yet, you haven't figured out all the open doors that need to be closed, you're still surrounded by people who are toxic and narcissistic. If you haven't even made it to the triage tent yet, it's okay. You're in his grip and he's going to bring you from point A to point B. I do believe that the way we find intimacy with the Savior is by delighting in Him. But even that, we're 100% dependent upon His grace. When it comes to like love, you're talking about those feelings. That's where commitment comes in. With my wife, now granted, we're, we're newlyweds. But we have days where maybe she doesn't like me <laughs> certain days or, you know, we have those days. And so it's like, yeah, you're not going to have those mushy feelings all the time, but I'm committed to her. I love her. Love isn't just, it's not just feelings, it's a commitment. And so when it comes to our relationship with the Lord, you know, when we bow my knee, I say, Jesus is Lord. I'm saying like, you're my king. And I mean, I'm thinking like how a knight would bow to the king and 
pledge loyalty to the king, that they will fight and they will die and they will live for that king. That's what's happening when we're getting saved. We're just pledging our loyalty to the king. That doesn't mean that we're going to have those mushy kind of feelings all the time, but that's where like spirit, that's where discipline comes in. And we say, I'm going to be loyal to you. I'm going to follow you. So yeah, that's good. Amen. I love that. I just want to add to that too, Chris, this was sort of an aha moment for me recently. You know, Daniel obviously had many encounters where the angels would come and you are greatly favored. Who of all the things, if if God was going to send a message to you, who doesn't want to hear in the midst of their battle fatigue, you are highly favored in the course of heaven. Your name rings through uh, over the intercom and you're highly favored. Like what a message to hear from God. It, I mean, if God was going to send me a message right now, it probably wouldn't be that glowing, right? So here's David or Daniel, I'm sorry. Here's Daniel face to face with an angel from the courts of heaven saying you are highly favored. This is what we're talking about. How do we open that door and how do we have that communication with the Lord? This is such an, it's a finite detail. I think this is all in Daniel chapter nine. This encounter with the angel came while he was doing his evening sacrifices. And it said that it was during his extreme exhaustion. It might have said extreme weariness. So here's here's Daniel. I just want to go to bed. I'm going to call in sick tonight. I'm just going to throw my feet up on the couch and throw on a movie. During his extreme exhaustion, and this is what you were talking about, Chris, with commitment with loyalty, with the self-discipline. Daniel found his way that night to, you know, to wherever he did his worship. He, he was committed to be faithful to do those evening sacrifices, even though he was weary to the bone. And in that absolute exhaustion, God would have forgiven him if he was tired, right? I mean, God knows we're, we're but dust. Some days we just don't have anything left in us. We just crash. But he... He dragged himself to where he was supposed to be in his extreme exhaustion. And that is when he had his breakthrough. And that was when God delivered the love letter. You are highly favored. I love you, Daniel. It came in his extreme weariness. It was commitment. Commitment. And there's going to be people possibly listening to this who they're not feeling God's love. They're questioning, does God love me? And I was just reminded while you were talking, Paul writing in Romans, I'm going to start Romans 5, 6. He says, for while we were still helpless, yet at the proper time, Christ died for the ungodly. For only rarely will someone die on behalf of a righteous person. For on behalf of a good person, possibly someone might even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how, that's how anyone can know that God loves them. And the, the word also says that God gives this gift of salvation freely. It's a free gift. We, have, we just have to reach out and grab it. I wasn't going anywhere beyond that. I was just reminded of that, that sometimes, you know, we don't always feel like we're loved but if we can just remember, uh, no, God loves me because he, he died for me. And that's, that's the ultimate love. And when I think about having resolve in tough times, whether it's my mom dying of cancer, I've had conversations with her where we are praying for healing, believing for healing. 
but having those moments where it's, I call them the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego moments, right? They're uh, King Nebuchadnezzar's like, bow down and worship this statue, idol, whatever. And they're like, no, we can't. He's like, I'm going to throw you in this fiery furnace and you're going to die. And they're like, you know what? Our God is able to rescue us. And this for me is where it is. But even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down and worship. And so these prayers that I had with my mother where we were just praying and believing, and I'm like, but mom, we have to, but even if he doesn't heal you, he's still faithful. He's still worthy. He still loves you. I don't know why, you know, who we could, <laughs> we could question everything. There's many questions that why, like, why did, why this, why God do this? Why didn't he do this? I don't know, but I know that he loves me because he died for me and that, the thing I'm praying for, I'm going to pray for it. I'm going to believe for it in faith. But at the same time, I'm praying God's will. So if it's not his will for me, I have to trust that that's just not what, that was not what was best for me. It's the, but even if he doesn't. Yeah, I love that. I love that. It's unfortunate, but it's the way we think as human beings, because we basically spend every moment of our lives avoiding pain and discomfort. Every time we put something in our mouth, every time we flip on a TV, every time we, you know, sit at work and look at the clock, everything we're basically doing all day long is an attempt to alleviate our boredom or distress. So, you know, like we're just, we operate in the realms of heaven and perfection will be nothing's ever going to hurt me ever again. And so unfortunately that's the lens then that we interpret the circumstances of our life. So For the person whose mom gets cured of cancer, God loved them and heard prayer and their prayers were powerful. And then the mom who dies, what did I do wrong? God didn't love me. God, God healed my best friend's mom. How can, and we get into all of these things, but that's our definition that we put God in those categories. And the fact of the matter is whether our mothers live or whether they die, God this is the way I look at it. And I've been through some tough stuff, Chris. My, my mom passed away in 2013. It, it was just the 10-year anniversary two days ago, I think, two or three days ago. When you look at the Hezekiahs of the world who bargain with God and beg God and just are determined to have their way, I never wanted my mom to pass away. But the fact that God overrode what entitled self-centered little Vicky wanted and did what he wanted anyway. That is great love. Vicky, I trust our relationship enough that you're not going to leave me or forsake me or give up on your faith or walk away from me if something hard happens. And I know that you want this more than anything. And so I'm going to do what I have planned instead of what you want. And even though it was painful, Chris, How awesome is I have a God that can't be bribed or manipulated. I have a God that is determined to give me plan A, and he will not let my own whining and bawling and manipulating sway his sovereignty. That is love. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Tori, do you have any pressing questions for Vicky? I know you do. You always have such great questions. Oh, thanks, Chris. Um, yeah, I, I feel like I did. And then 
And then we got on this whole like amazing gospel dive. And I'm like, what was I thinking before? Um, <laughs> I was kind of wondering what, okay. And so I remember now, cause Vicky was like, don't ask the question of how not to make it happen. So, um, because I also, I mean, yeah, like my whole life, even still more so when I was little, maybe, um, I don't really like sleeping. I mean, partially because it's boring and I want to be awake and I want to be with people and stuff, but partially because there's always this little fear of like, uh, what if I go to sleep and something really scary happens, you know, with the whole frequency conversation, which I feel weird talking about. Cause I only know enough to be dangerous, right? Like I only know, I only know enough to mess it up. Basically what I've heard just, you know, from like Dr. Laura Sanger on some other podcasts or a little bit from Kenny, just getting into the quantum physics of this whole thing, you know, it's like almost wondering if, if with frequency, it's kind of like a radio tuner, you know? And so it's like low frequency stuff, whether that's like fear I know is associated with like low frequency and then like love, you know, and like gratitude and joy, you know, so like drawing near to God, it's like high frequency, you know, like Dr. Laura has this amazing episode on Blurry Creatures. It's like one of my favorites ever where she's talking about, it was during the pandemic and like panic and fear and all this, you know, and like perfect love cast out fear. I've just listened to that over and over. So anyway, I guess I'm just wondering if like, if it is like a radio tuner or something, it's like, if we're like drawing close to God before bed and like really just like climbing up the frequencies, you know, like, do you think that that would help? I don't know. I mean, just, I guess even just like posturing our heart, like focusing on the Lord before sleep and like delighting in him rather than like, I do the same thing. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, it's like, I'm scrolling my phone, I'm texting people and I've got something funny on TV just because I'm trying to like not be bored, not be scared, whatever, before I go to bed, you know, because I normally do my like Bible study first thing in the morning, but it's, you know, because, but I'm like, I wonder if like I waited until right before bed and had this, you know, just like burst of, but then I'd never go to sleep probably. I don't know. Is that, do you think that would help? Is it worth a shot? No, I'm really glad you brought that up because I know that kind of the, the general wisdom is pray all these prayers for protection before you go to bed. Now that doesn't really work for me. I do pray, pray before I go to bed, but I do the warfare prayers in the morning when I wake up, because then I have all day for it to kind of soak in. Right before I go to bed is not when I want to be meditating on all the potentially horrible, scary things that might happen to me before I go to sleep. There's a, you know, there is this reality that we all face that a lot of times residual of the last thing that we focused on before we go to bed creeps into our dreams, you know, like the, the movie character, like Chris was saying earlier, if you're watching the horror movies and stuff. So I think that this practice of going to bed and really making your prayers more demon-centered than they are God-centered is probably not helpful. And, you know, um, by way of what you're saying with raising the frequency, I think, and, and I do this frequently, is I will sing a couple acapella songs in my room. I'll like fill the room with that frequency. And I specifically pick songs that talk about the majesty and the glory of God. I don't pick songs that talk about he does it for me, 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 me. Like I, I pick the songs where his name is being lifted up. I do think that there is something about audible frequencies that can be kind of like dog whistles to the demons where they're like, ah, ah, you know, and uh, one thing, I wrote a little article on this once, 
and again, just theorizing, I love to just muse, but there are two scriptures in the Bible that mention God laughing, an audible laughter. And we all know Psalm 2. That's that's the most popular one where why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain that, you know, the king of heaven sits on his throne and laughs. And what's interesting, and, and I'm sorry, I because I didn't expect to go down this route. I can't remember the um, reference to the other one. My brain wants to say it's an Isaiah, but I could be wrong. But anyway, there's two references in scripture where God audibly laughs. This is a frequency. So we call it laughter, but laughter, whispering, talking, screaming, crying. These are all just English words we've ascribed to different frequencies. So the frequency of laughter in Psalm 2, as well as the other verse, both times that God laughs, the nations are obliterated. So what's interesting to me about that, because I always look at that, like, I think this has more to do with frequency and war than it does with spiritual war than it does with God being this vindictive bearded guy up on a throne with lightning bolts who just laughs at people who are going to die and go to hell, which I think is completely incongruous to, to the rest of the, the doctrine in, in scripture. What I believe or what I've mused over is wouldn't it be cool if the laughter of God is is sort of like sonar. It's frequencies that are being put through the water that destroy the missiles. Because both times he laughs, it's when all the nations are raging against him. And we know from the Tower of Babel, we know from the Book of Enoch, and we know from Project High Jump and all this, they have some grant plot, the five I wills that they're going to send to the throne of God, and they're going to overthrow him, and they're going to take over. So uh, what's he going to do when this happens? He's going to laugh. Now, does that mean he's like, oh, you're no match for me? <laughs> like, is he... Is he mocking his enemies or is he throwing out a frequency that's sonar, that's that's a missile defense system? Is it the Star Wars system of heaven that is just going after all of those missiles and those bombs and those swords and just crushing the weapons of, of the enemy? So I think that we have the same capacity at night. We can go to bed with a clear mind that's not filled with the world, filled with all the woes of the day filled with all of our stresses over the next day. If we really take to prayer and clear our mind before him, we prepare our hearts as a sanctuary. Like if Jesus said, I'm going to come over to your house, several of us will be cleaning for several hours, right? So what do we do to prepare our heart? Hey, if Jesus is going to show up tonight, there's a lot of things that we would be instantly convicted on that we would want out of his view, right? So let's prepare our hearts before we go to bed. Let's not meditate or ruminate on the stresses of the next day or the people that torqued us off that day or um, you know, everything that the world has to offer, all of their entertainment, which is usually not pleasing to the Lord. Let's, instead of praying a whole bunch of prayers about all the power of the, of the enemy and all these powerful things he can do to us in our sleep, in a way that's sort of almost glorifying the power of the enemy. Oh, they're going to scare me tonight and this is going to happen and that could happen. And I think that we should just go to bed with clean hearts and clean hands and sing like one stanza of an old hymn on the top of our lungs like we mean it and clear that air and just pray and ask God to seal every threshold in that room and and welcome him into that. 
I didn't go into much detail about it right now, but the, um, the, the tabernacle in the Old Testament, if you really go into depth as to what, what was the Torah and what was the tabernacle, we just look at it like it's church and it's the liturgy and it's the law. The Torah mimics exactly the betrothal covenant that uh, a man would work out with the father of his, his bride, even down to having the two copies. And all of the blessings and curses, if this, then that, if this, then the whole Torah mimics a Semitic betrothal contract, like a prenup. And the tabernacle mimicked the, the hoopah, which was the wedding tent. So when, when Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you and I'm coming back, this was betrothal language. The groom in ancient, you know, Judaic culture would get the approval, they would they would get engaged, and then he would go away for an undisclosed point of time, and he would prepare the home. And then he would come back and he'd bring the bride back into the home. But what's interesting about these hoopah tents is there was an inner chamber as well, just like the tabernacle. There, there was an inner chamber where, where the ark was kept. So you could go into the tabernacle, but then there was a deeper chamber there is a deeper chamber in the wedding tent as well. So the, the groom would get his bride and carry her over the threshold. But then the woman, the bride, would go back into the second inner chamber, which was called the Tamian chamber. That was where it was consummated. That's where it would all go down on wedding night, right? And so what would happen is now it's reversed. And now think again of Revelation 3.20. At this point, the bride has the scepter. The guy knocks on the door of the Tamian chamber and says, are you ready? And she says, I'm not ready yet. So he doesn't come in. Only if she opens the door is he allowed to come in. So Jesus is talking bridegroom language in Revelation 3.20. He's not knocking at our front door, needing to borrow a cup of sugar. He is knocking on that Tamian chamber. Bride, are you ready yet? No. Oh, my gosh. No, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Come, Lord Jesus. I, I love you, but I'm not ready. So he... He goes and he wastes a little more time. And the bride is preparing herself. She's beautifying herself back there. She is putting on the perfume and, and the nightgown and she's doing her hair and she's taking her hair that's all been all wrapped up that her bridegroom has only ever seen it all wadded up and under veils. And she's letting this beautiful hair down and she's brushing it and she's anticipating my bridegroom's going to come in here and be blown away. I'm making myself beautiful for him. Meanwhile, he's outside anticipating building for him as well. And every time he knocks and, and she says, I'm not ready yet, anticipation is building in both of them. And so eventually he knocks and she says, I'm ready. Come in. And he steps over. So that Tamian chamber, it is the inner room. Many Christians, we spend our whole lives in the tabernacle. We're there. We're a part of his family. We're welcomed in and we're taking part in, in the services and we're worshiping. But the goal is to find that back chamber. And so when I go to bed at night, instead of focusing on all of the potentially horrible, demonic, scary things that could be happening, I just pray and, and I, I prepare that place the way I would prepare it if it was the Tamian chamber. And I just say, Father, just seal off every threshold in this room so that only the bridegroom can walk through it. 
And if anyone else tries to walk through it, he's going to meet them at that door. And so that way, the bedroom and nighttime and sleep, instead of becoming a potentially dreadful thing that scares us, is it becomes that time of the day where we finally get to everything comes off of our shoulders, all the stress of the day and the the whiny kids and the boss that's a dink and all of the worries and the bills, everything. And as soon as we shut that door, it is an inner chamber of absolute peace waiting in anticipation that maybe tonight is the night that he'll knock on that door and I will wake up rested because I've had fellowship with him. And so that's a really long way of answering that question because I do think that most of us that have had sleep paralysis experiences, we do go to bed almost inadvertently, almost putting out a welcome mat for these things to come back. I love what you're saying, like fixing our eyes on Jesus, not praying negative prayers of like, please don't let something scary happen because you're right. It's focusing on the scary. It's like putting our mind and heart there, even if we're saying the opposite, but, but just focusing on like the majesty of Jesus and that like he is in the room. And it's like, if he's in the room, then it really doesn't matter if anything else is in the room or tries to be in the room. I love um, also in Psalm two, um, Okay, so Vicky, everyone who like knows me knows I'm obsessed with Rich Mullins. He's like my hero, you know, and um, he has the song While the Nations Rage, which might be my favorite one of the songs, but it's basically Psalm 2, you know, and so the second verse says, the Lord in heaven laughs, he knows what is to come. Um, while all the chiefs of state plan their big attacks against his anointed one. But so like when he says it, like the Lord in heaven laughs, he knows what is to come. I guess the way I think about it, which ties into the frequency thing is not that he's laughing in some kind of like haughty way, but more of like an unbothered chuckle, almost like just like the opposite end of fear. You know what I mean? Like he knows that the nations are raging and plotting against his anointed one. And like, he's, he can laugh about it, you know, or it might be Proverbs 31, you know, like describing the woman who like laughs in the, you know, the face of fear or whatever, you know? So I think it's that sort of thing where it's like that laughter I think is so powerful and it's so the opposite end of the spectrum from being afraid. Like, like if you can laugh about something, you're not afraid, you're not worried about it. It's small, you know? So I just, I just think it's that. I think it draws that comparison. Like God is so much bigger. He's so above it that like they can, they can do their best to like rage against him. And it's kind of, you know, like a little kid swinging at you, you know, and like you're big, you know, he's kind of like, (laughs) all right. Yep. Destroys them with the breath of his mouth. Yeah. So I think focusing on that and, and then having that same attitude of laughter versus terror about this stuff, you know, just like. It's kind of like having childlike faith, isn't it? Not worrying about, the bully because, you know, like dad's got me. I love all of that. And I'm taking this with me tonight. I'm like, I'm about, to, I'm about to be worshiping and getting in tonight before to bed. Do some laughing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, well, Vicki, we've got about another 20 or 30 minutes and I wanted to invite a friend of the show, Aaron Gamgee, uh, to come on because she's got some, she's got some wild stories 
And Aaron, I'll, I'll introduce you. Uh, Aaron, this is Vicky. Vicky, this is Aaron. And Aaron, we're going to have you on again soon because I want to go, we want to dive deep into kind of your story, but I'd like you to share with Vicky some of the things that you share with me about some of your kind of sl- sleep paralysis incidents that you've had, if you don't mind. Vicky, I guess just to refresh your memory too, because I had emailed you and you were so helpful to me and so kind and so loving and compassionate with your answer to me. I just want to thank you for that. And I've read your book and I love it. And everyone needs to go out and buy it because it's an incredible book. It's It provides a lot of insight. The prayers in it are really helpful. And so I would encourage everyone to do that. I don't know how much of my story I want to get into because I don't want to take up too much time. But I think the one thing that I keep going back to is, yes, as a kid, I had things happen. And I'll get into that with you guys further in the future. But when things got super bad for me, it was because I had I do think that I invited it into my life in a way because I had sinned right before it got bad. And I I knew it was a sin. It was something that was kind of encouraged and I knew it was wrong and I felt trapped. And so I had committed a sin, which I don't want to get into that, but I ended up in Australia, which Australia is pretty deep and dark anyway. And um, I also did some traveling in Southeast Asia kind of at this time, kind of before this. So I don't know if that could have opened any doors for me, but when it all started really bad was back in 2012, when I was living with a very creepy couple and I had a very vivid dream where the girl I was living with, who I believe could have been a witch said, don't blow her life candle out. I saw her in the dream say this, and then she blew out a candle in the dream. And then all of a sudden in real time, I was in my bed And I saw this entity in front of me who looked almost like the villain from Blade Runner. He was very handsome, but very evil looking with a sinister smile on his face. And he lowered himself onto me. And after that, I didn't ever see this individual again, but I started feeling things crawling up and down my body at night. And to this day, I still get the experience of things crawling up and down my body at night. I'm almost so used to it at this time that I can kind of ignore it. But I've also had more intense experiences lately where I've had some clarification about what these things are. But when this happened to me and when I was still living in sin and hadn't repented of that sin, I felt like a heaviness in my body and in my heart. And it almost felt like I could feel this vibration of something in me. And I know that I'm forgiven. And I guess that's one thing that I want to say to people that have sinned or you're going in your head and you're like, oh my gosh, what could I have done? Or you don't know the type of person I was or what kind of doors I could have opened. I broke down in front of Dr. Laura recently and just started crying. I had the opportunity to meet her in person. I'm like, you don't know what my life is like, you know? And she's just like, you're forgiven. So I just want to reiterate that because I'm still struggling with things. So I still in my head, I'm thinking like, what did I do? Is there the sin that I haven't repented of? And I do think that there's probably a generational component But I also think that there's a witchcraft component and I don't know anything about what a life candle is. I have, I think I Googled it once and was like, it was all new age and I didn't even click on the links, but I just wonder, I sometimes feel I had a pretty bad experience this week with sleep paralysis and so did my son. So this week, all through the last week, my daughter has gotten up in the night. She's two years old. I have a five-year-old and a seven-year-old as well. My five-year-old has never experienced anything, but my seven-year-old has. 
And so whenever my daughter gets up in the night, I always know that something is amiss because I can kind of feel it. And she'd been up every single night over this last week. So I think it was Monday of this week. So this is like maybe the 20th or something. She ended up up in the night and all all I heard was a door slam. And then her little body just like slam on the floor in front of my husband and I, where we were sleeping. And so I picked her up and I brought her into my room rather than in the big bed with my husband. And I had fallen asleep with her. Eventually I put her in the bed. She went right back to sleep. And then I fell asleep. And this was a really interesting sleep paralysis experience for me. Chris, I didn't tell you about this one, but it was the first sleep paralysis experience that I had where my daughter was a part of it. So in this experience, I'm laying in my bed and everything seems really real. And I could feel something pressing on me, like pushing me into the bed. And then in this, I don't even know if I would call it a dream, but the sleep paralysis state, my daughter was standing up in the bed and I could hear this electrical buzzing sensation. And she was pulling on this cord, like pulling it out of the wall. And I almost felt like was this something that the entities were doing because they wanted me to harm my daughter in some way? Because she was sleeping right next to me. And in the dream, I was yelling at her like, sky, 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 just screaming at her. And I actually ended up waking her up, but I was kind of like tongue tied at the same time. Also in the, she stood up and I don't know if this was real life or if it was the dream state, but she said that something came into my bed. There was something in my bedroom, like meaning that's why I had to get in bed with her in the first place. And in the dream state, and I have goosebumps while I'm talking right now, I was like really upset because when it's your child, you just want to go to war for them. And I've had this happen to my children where I'm like, God, send this to me so I can deal with it because I don't want my children to deal with it. And in the dream, I was like, I'm getting rid of this thing. In Jesus name, I command you to leave. In Jesus name, I command you to leave. And normally if this happens, I can get these things to go away. I have found that lately, it seems like they come on harder and I really have to be very convicted. I might have to say it 10, 20 times. I might have to repeat Psalm 23 or Psalm 91, which I know by heart. But what happened in this experience was so disheartening because I literally felt inside of me. I could sense this like thing inside of my body, just like these tentacles around me, basically saying like, no. I am a part of you. I am in you. You can't get rid of me. And I've kind of always had this feeling since it's never fully left. And I know I'm a Christian. I know I'm saved by the blood of Jesus. I know God loves me. I do feel like I'm still spiritually oppressed and I kind of never know when it's going to happen. But I guess I don't even know what my question is necessarily. I think it can just be really disheartening when you're dealing with it so often. And so this conversation has been so helpful because getting yourself in that joy state and being in the frequency of love and gratitude. And I, I don't, I guess I just don't know what you know about, cause I do experience a lot of this when I'm not sleeping too, I'll be wide awake and things will happen. And I guess I'm just knowing, curious what you know about that. The last time something happened when I was wide awake, I actually saw a smoke kind of come in front of me And it was about two feet wide and I was commanding it to leave in Jesus name. And it just stood there static. And I think you talked about this on a podcast. You said like the, the, the enemy has almost stepped up their game 
where now we'll see things and it's almost like they're soulless and they're not responding to the name of Jesus like things usually would. It seems like things are ramping up that are just harder to deal with. And it's almost like it is this soulless shell or this avatar. What happened in this instance is I did finally get it to go away by saying Psalm 23, but I was thinking, did this thing latch back onto me? Because I'm not clear that it left. And then I woke up to a message from my friend, Sarah, who, you know, um, she has prophetic dreams. She's from Australia and she had been having, she's been having dreams about me where she says, you know, Aaron, I have these dreams and smoke is attached to you and you don't know that it's there, but it's attached to you and it trips you up and it tongue ties you and just very, it kind of freaked me out. And I think it caused me to be in a little bit of fear, just knowing she was dreaming that too. But I guess I'm just curious what you know about any of that. Cause I feel like they're stepping up their game when I'm now dreaming about my children being a part of things. And I'm just finding things are harder to get rid of and just feeling really oppressed or feeling like sometimes like something is, has its claws in me, so to speak, just any advice. Yeah. So one of the things that I try to address and I address in the book as well is what do we do with these people, such as myself and you, where, okay, we have run out of things to ask for forgiveness for. We've prayed all the way back to childhood and, and asked for forgiveness for every girl whose ponytail we pulled in school all the way up to like horrible things we've done. And we have gotten intense with it. We've, we've gone to counselors. We've gone to deliverances. We've talked to pastors. We have gotten rid of everything in our house that we think could have been a charged object. We've gotten rid of all the secular music. We've gone online and found all the deliverance prayers we could possibly find, whether it's psychotropic medication, pharmacia, Freemasonry, like all of the deliverance prayers. Why are some of us still getting this? And why are a lot of us who finally found victory over like the shadow people, demons, whatever, now experiencing a different type of it instead. So I think one of my answers, and I do extrapolate on this in the last chapter of my book, if we are living in a unique unique time, if we are anywhere near the culmination of all of redemptive history and everything's about to roll up like a scroll, if we really are, even if we're in the last epoch of it or we're the last season, like regardless of how long, if that's where we're at, then it is it is possible to me that the reason why these things are being given permission is not because we've opened some door and we did some bad thing and we haven't you know, remembered everything and there's some sin from our past we can't remember or whatever. It could be a Job scenario where this generation has to be equipped in spiritual warfare. The church hasn't really focused on it much in the last 50 years. And you don't talk about it much. And we don't talk about Satan and we don't talk about demons. I think the latest Barna report had over 60% of people either believing the devil wasn't real at all, he was just some sort of grand metaphor. And then there was like 19% of that was people who sort of agreed with that. So we've got 60% of the church on some level, not even believing we have an enemy anymore. So we're not going to teach sermons about how to fight the enemy if we don't even believe he exists. So I think we are in an accelerated season of boot camp right now. If this is the generation that's going to have to deal with this, 
we are going to have to be aware of and believing in and equipped to fight. And so one of the reasons why hundreds and hundreds of people have already contacted me saying this is happening in my whole life is if we are the end generation, that means we're part of the army and no one's even told us how to hold a sword. We don't even know where the grip is on the thing or do we hold it like, like this or do we hold it like a butter knife? Like we don't know. So it could be that we are being exposed to this under the supervision and sovereignty of God because he's teaching us how to face these things without paralyzing terror, how to call on the name of Jesus, how to wield the sword, how to protect our kids, how to recognize when these things are coming, how to share with others. So some of it could be that we're being prepared. I also mentioned in my book, there's several Bible characters where the devil seemed to know before they were even born that they were going to be a thorn in his side. We know they tried to wipe out, they tried to wipe out Jesus, you know, killed all the two-year-olds. And there, there's other, Moses, of course, is a big example. And, and it's not in, in the canon, but in the book of Jasher, it tells the background of Abraham. Nimrod tried to kill Abraham as a newborn because after Abraham was born, Abraham's father worked in the courts of Nimrod and they were all celebrating the birth of his newborn son and they were walking home late at night, late at night after the bars closed and they all being magis of some kind looked in the heavens and they could read in the stars that that newborn son of Abraham was going to dethrone Nimrod and that his kingdom would overcome the kingdoms of the world. So they went and narked on Abraham's father and Nimrod was like, you bring me that kid. I'll give you 10,000 pieces of silver. And Abraham said, no, he tried to bargain with Nimrod and Nimrod was like, no, you bring me that kid. There's reasons why certain things aren't in our Bible. We look at our patriarchs of the faith as these like, hey, they flubbed up here and there. Like David had a little spurts on his record and, you know, Moses killed a guy. But, you know, basically we like our heroes to be heroic. And so we don't really like to know all the finer details. But Abraham's father took the newborn son of a slave woman and presented the baby before Nimrod as Abraham. And this baby was dashed upon the rocks. So what's interesting to me with Abraham, with Moses and with Jesus, three integral fig figures that were necessary in the forwarding of redemptive history were all preserved in the womb and in childhood, in infancy. How did the enemy know these three guys were gonna be trouble? So what information does he have about the current generation? When did he find out who the troublemakers were going to be? When, when did he figure out, you know, who, who the Russ Dizdars and the Jamie Waldens were going to be? And, and so I do think, yes, I do think that bloodlines and ritual abuse and generational Satanism and trauma can bring on lifelong spiritual attacks. But I also think that there are cases, and I always tell people, be humble about this. Exhaust all the other options first, because there's very few jobs in the world, and I don't pretend to be one of them. But there is a point where you have to wonder, if I've done everything, and I know I'm walking in holiness, I am not, I'm not perfect, but I know I'm, I'm not doing anything to open these doors. If it continues to happen, there's a point where you might have to wonder if God is building his army, and that the army has to be equipped. We have to be trained. We have to 
we have to get so comfortable with these things that when they show up, we just go, you know, like Chris said earlier, like, I'm not dealing with this. I'm going to bed. Like where they lose their power over us because it's like, you know what? I'm sick. I'm actually to the point where I'm sick of you. You're annoying. I do want to answer the second part of your question too, where you talk about these kind of soulless avatars, but because I've been talking for a while, I just want to give Chris and Tori an opportunity to peek their head in here if they have something to say. To the point about things losing their power, you know, um, this is just a funny story from recently. So when we had our little meetup in uh, Tennessee, um, a bunch of us were staying at this cabin and it was like secluded in the woods. And, you know, we always talk about Bigfoot and these stories and, you know, so that stuff's like running through my head. I'm sleep- I'm like one of the only non-couple people there, you know, so I'm sleeping on a couch in the living room and it's like all these huge windows around me and it's dark. And I literally, well, I was so tired too. I was just, I was too tired, honestly. I don't even want to sound like it was that spiritual. I didn't have the time to be like awake and scared. I just like took my contacts out and I was like, if there's something out there, I can't see it. So it doesn't matter. (laughs) Like, good night. I can't see you. I can't see you. I can't hear you. Literally, like, if I can't see you, you're not there. So like, bye. Oh man, that's awesome. Yeah. I know it took me a very, very long time, but I know I was well into my 40s, the first time I had a couple experiences where they came and instead of getting scared, I drew the sword and I'm like, get out of here. And they fled. And I woke up then and I was like, like I, I was so excited because it took me that long to like finally not be scared. And that, Aaron, is what broke the spell for me. At that point, I continued to have strange and nefarious things happen to me while I was asleep, but it was never that again it was never the shadow people the hat man the ghosts the the sleep paralysis the waking up it 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 never happened that way again but what i'm starting to hear now is a lot of people that are contacting me are experiencing a type of sleep paralysis that is far more quantum technological militarized scientific it's more metaverse it's more upside down than it is astral it's not witchy and spirit guides it's almost dimensional where they're getting up from their bed like out of body and they're walking through their house and everything looks the way it should but kind of like in stranger things it's it doesn't have vines all over but it's it's a different hue of color there's a darkness about it there's a different uh, the air is thicker. Like when you walk through it, you feel the air is thicker and you can tell it's like hazy. It's like your eyes are kind of blurry. And, and I've had this happen several times now, but what I've been encountering and many other people have been telling me about this too, is these things will appear that aren't demonic looking and you're not feeling, you know how you can feel the presence when there's a pressure in the room. There's not, that feeling isn't there, but there's something off about these people. They're kind of zombie-like. They're totally unresponsive. They don't laugh. They don't roll their eyes. They don't hiss. They don't scream. You can say the name of Jesus as many times as you want, and they just stare a hole through you. And a couple of the things that I've noticed, and it took me several experiences before I noticed it, is I wake up thinking that I interacted with the people in the dream because I was going up to them and I was talking to them. But I realized when I woke up in all three of these instances I don't think any of them actually saw me. It's one of those things where you're talking and their response makes sense, but they're really not talking to you. And another thing I noticed is even when they're threatening you, like 
I'm going to kill you or I'm going to hurt you. What I've noticed is even though they're not scared off by anything that you say, I've noticed, and this is so funny, it, it makes me wonder about the social distancing. I've noticed these things can't get within like six feet of me, which makes then started making me think, well, I wonder then if they're holograms. I wonder if they're keeping their distance because if I reached out and my hand went through them, I'd realize they're not really real or they're not really there. There's something off about these these people. And so I am just, again, musing, because this is very new. I am musing if they have, well, I don't, I know this part, I'm not musing. They have, through the use of technology, been able to mimic every aspect of sleep paralysis. They can do voice to skull stuff. They can get into your dreams. They can hijack your, your visual cortex. They can do all that. But with, with the frequencies, you can see the shadow people, all this stuff. So what I'm wondering is if instead of sending the demons in, because we're on to them now, now we know even, even atheists and agnostics and Muslims and people who don't believe that Jesus is God will say in the name of Jesus, get out and they have to flee. We're on to that now. So I almost wonder if they have created some sort of holographic or soulless avatar, if it's all technology, run at a switchboard for the very reason that now when we call out to Jesus, there's no fear there because there's no soul there. There's no threat. There's no, they're, they're not really real in some way. And I know we're getting really far into the fringes now. And I mean, we're just getting to the point now, finally, where we can talk about sleep paralysis, where people are admitting, I see shadow people in my room and, I mean, we haven't even gotten to the point of acceptance for the that. And that's what I call sleep paralysis, you know, 1.0. We're into sleep paralysis 2.0 now. It's different. Uh, it, it is not the same. Most of the people who contact me and talk about the classic sleep paralysis, we're talking 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. The young people, the millennials that are contacting me, it's not what they're seeing by and large. They're not seeing smoke in their room and red eyes and alien grays. They're, they are in some sort of reality shifting upside down metaverse type of world where they're elusively walking around and the spirit guides and the ascended masters of the old world, the astral realm, they have repackaged themselves for the younger generations. So we've got to catch up with the learning curve and as a church and as pastors and as educators and parents and grandparents, we got to catch up with the learning curve because as soon as we figure out the shadow people and the sleep paralysis stuff, it's already going to be too late because it's going to be outmoded and it's going to be this new quantum upside down thing. And I'm already seeing it phasing into production and it's, very perplexing stuff. What uh, the the letters I'm now getting, I have to pray for days before I can even write back because I have no idea. I've never heard this stuff before. So I'm trying to blaze a trail in in this field because I want to help people. Uh, but if any of you ever feel inclined to pray for me, just that I would have wisdom to give answers to these people who are terrified, who are suffering, who are in bondage to this. We have got to bring glory to God. We've got to set captives free. We have to expose the deeds of the devil. We have to be one step ahead of their game. And so we need unity 
We need pastors who are equipped to not send people off to psychologists and hypnotherapists when they, they come to them. We need parents and teachers and counselors and biblical counselors and youth group leaders and pastors who understand and believe satanic ritual abuse and sleep paralysis. Uh, we've got to unify and we've got to regain our supernatural vision to, to look at the world and the scriptures through supernatural lenses because a war is about to hit that we will be decimated in if we are still looking around for prophets with staffs and arcs to be floating by. It is a whole new world. I want to end on this. You talk about being equipped, being ready to, to fight those battles. And you have written something that I think can really help people on that journey, getting on their way on, on that journey. So I want to ask you, where can we find your book? Oh, thanks, Chris. So the book is called They Only Come Out at Night, Exposing the Dark Weapon of Sleep Paralysis. As of today, the only place you can get it is lamarzuli.net. So go to his website. If you go to my website, vickyjoyanderson.com, you can go to the book page. If you click on it, it'll take you directly to his, his page. So if it's easier for you to locate it on my website, it, it will t it'll get you there. It'll, it'll get you there. But yeah, um, lamarzuli.net. And you can also find me on the Through the Black 2 YouTube channel on, uh, on YouTube. Uh, with Tom Dunn. And uh, I write for realdarknews.com. I write for prophecies, uh, politics, prophecy, and the supernatural, which is Ellie Marzulli's online magazine. You can also get through his site. And Vicki Joy Anderson is the website. And VJA author is the Instagram. Well, Vicki, we really appreciate you coming on. This has been eye-opening and inspiring. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm almost speechless, oh, which is man. not a great thing for uh, a podcast host, but, <laughs> <laughs> but thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. And anytime you want to, you want to come back, just let us know. And we'd be happy to happy to have you. This was fantastic. Yeah. We'd love that. Aaron, we'd love to have you back too. We have a members page now, actually. We're kind of in the process of building, but we're going to have some members episodes and hopefully some chats. And um, if either of you would ever like to come on there and you know be featured, have some conversations with people, we would love that too. Absolutely. would love to. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been great meeting you guys and um, hopefully hear from some of your viewers. Anybody? Oh, I, I should mention on my website, if you go to the contact page, you can send me an email and it does sometimes take me up about a week, but I, I will get back to everyone who writes to me. Thanks, guys. That was so helpful. There's a lot more to be said, especially to I'll tell you a little bit about my son, too, because he had a pretty bad sleep paralysis um, experience this week. And we can talk about ways that I dealt with it with him and what's worked because it was pretty scary. These entities held him upside down. They threw him against the wall. I'm grateful that him and I have a really good relationship and he could talk to me about it. He's seven years old. 
So that's terrifying for a seven-year-old. So I think just being able to talk to parents who might have kids dealing with this too is great. And I'm really glad that you spoke to Derek Gilbert about this, Vicki, because I'm going to be listening in on that as well. Because I think these things really do call, come for the vulnerable, like you've mentioned in your book as well. And it's heartbreaking as a parent to see your child going through something like that. So there is hope and freedom for them too. And I just want ta- parents to take heart in that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And Aaron, yeah, we look forward to having you on here soon. It's we've got you booked. I just can't remember what the date is, but yeah, you're you're coming back soon and, and we're looking forward to that. He didn't take so, his, his mushroom supplement. No, <laughs> I didn't. no, I didn't. <laughs> there's there's a date on the calendar. I know that much. That's why I have the calendar so I can go and look at it. But all right, guys, until next time. All right. Good night, guys. Good night. Peace.